Random Mind the Gutter. I'm Haley Behal. On this episode, we talk with Pete LeBlanc from Antelope High School in Antelope, California. When he has a moment away from his award-winning staff, Pete travels all over the country teaching design and theme development at workshops and conventions. He proves you can learn how to design simply by looking at good magazines. His journey to the yearbook world involved the Air Force, Little League newsletters, and a local paper. But really, it's all about sports. Yeah, sports. Though he never expected to find himself back in the classroom, he's found in the past few years, not only does he have a passion for teaching students to create publications, but he also has a passion for helping students through mental health struggles. In March, he was awarded the Joseph M. Murphy Award for Outstanding Service to Columbia Scholastic Press Association, and we were glad we got to talk to him in Anaheim. We are here today with Pete. Is it LeBlanc or It's LeBlanc? actually LeBlanc. LeBlanc. Okay. All my kids say LeBlanc. So everybody <laughs> else around me says LeBlanc, but it is LeBlanc. That's, that's what I call the Massachusetts pronunciation. So we are here today with Pete LeBlanc from Antelope High School in Antelope, California. Thank you for joining us oh, today. Thanks for having me. We like to start these with uh, just your basic, how did you get into your book? How did you arrive here today? I took a, a really interesting path back into the classroom because it's the last place where I ever expected that I would end up. I was not a good student in high school, uh, just, you know, dealing with a lot of just kid stuff. But everything was about sports for me growing up. And I actually spent four years in the Air Force. And one of the things that I did when I was in the Air Force is I started coaching Little League and I became sort of the Little League PR guy of writing these like really, really horrible Little League stories for the base paper. And that literally turned into my first clip book that I took to the sports editor at the Appeal Democrat in Marysville, California when I got out of the Air Force and... I think he was like, oh, somebody will actually actually wants to go cover these high school football games. I had no idea really what I was doing then. And that was really the beginning of my journalism career. I went on to uh, major in journalism at Sacramento State and then later became a sports writer at the Sacramento Bee. Where I was at in my sports writing career at that time, it, you know, it's a, it's a lot like um, if you want to get into broadcasting. Like, you have to be willing to be very upwardly mobile and move around a lot. And I wasn't in a situation where I could do that. So, uh, on a lark, I took the national teacher's exam for English. And on a lark, it was the very first time that they were offering the written portion, which was like really, really difficult. And I got grandfathered in on the written portion. <laughs> I took the test again and uh, passed us, basically went back to school, majored in English, and then ended up back in the classroom. But I, but even then, I was going to coach. It was all about becoming, t- becoming a teacher to coach. And that was the plan. I, 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 I did coach some football and some girls basketball. Uh, but then I also discovered this whole world of scholastic journalism, which has been awesome because for me, it still is sort of a sports connection because I'm just coaching. I just, I ended up coaching journalism instead of sports. That's basically what happened. And like, what is the difference between coaching journalism and coaching a sport? Well, I mean, I mean, to, I still kind of think the same way. Uh, for me, for me, one of the big differences that I get upset about is like when I say, um, okay, it's Thursday night work night. Everybody needs to be here at 2.30 and we're going to be here till 8. 
in my mind, I'm still sports coach guy. And I think that means like, okay, this is practice. And in sports, like you have to be here for practice. So uh, that can be a little bit frustrating sometimes that it's, that it's, it's not quite like that. And you can't like tell people to like, Oh, well, you didn't get here at 2.30. You're not going to play. The yes, game yes, because they'll just say, well, fine, I'll quit, and we won't have a yearbook. Oh, okay. <laughs> they, they really do hold the leverage and not me, so that, that, it does come down to that. I think, like, you know, it's, it's, it's philosophically the same uh, in that, you know, they're the ones doing it. You're, you're just trying to kind of put them in a situation to sort of help them do the best that they can, you know, pretty much on game day, which is, you know, when you really kind of get into the heat of deadline, I'll tell my kids like, all right, we're in game day right now. You guys got to, you guys got to do this. <laughs> Not as many advisors as you would expect come in from the actual journalism background and especially like sports journalism, because a lot of times that's the stories that your bookers and newspaper um, staffers struggle with the most. So how how do you teach this sports story? It's really difficult to teach them to cover sports. And now I'll always have sort of a, I say this fondly, like I'll have a sports geek kid, you know, every once in a while. Like on my broadcast side, I have a kid who he's really great at football highlights because he's he loves sports. The kids are they're fewer and far between now. Like when I grew up, like everybody loved the Red Sox, everybody loved the Bruins. Nobody liked the Patriots back then, but um, <laughs> um, so it's it's really difficult because if they don't innately know the sport, so I mean for me the quickest shortcut is to let's focus on the personalities. Let's focus on the people who are playing the games and let's even try to find out other things about them than just the game because that might be more universal to our readers as well. But as far I don't we don't I don't really do hard news anymore. Um, I spent many years trying to teach kids to go out and cover how to cover a game. Wow, it is difficult because it, it, what it gets down to is is one of the things that's most difficult to teach kids when you get into journalism is that first you're, you you try to teach them to catalog everything that's going on. And then they once they sort of grasp that concept, then they realize oh, there's like 8,000 things going on. How do I pick the three out of those 8,000 that I'm going to write about? And if you're not a sports person, you can't recognize what those sort of key moments are. So it's kind of some of those things come with maturity and, and just practice reps. Yeah. You can say it a million times, but they've just got to do it, do it, do it. Now that you're starting to shift away from the hard, quote unquote, hard news angle for sports, uh, personalities. So what type of stories are you covering uh, in your sports section for the 2019 book? That well, we're, we're probably having a couple of different conversations yeah. here because I because I also do. So I've done newspaper, which has kind of morphed into a magazine. Um, I think as far as yearbook sports coverage, I, I think the key is that we'll try to vary it. Um, we might do, see in the old days, like you would just do like, okay, we're going to do a feature story on a player and every single sports spread is going to be like that. We'll just pick one player for each section. Um, I think now what I try to, uh, variety is just a huge thing that I try to teach the kids. So it's, so you want a lot of visual variety, but to really get the visual variety, it starts in your coverage plan by coming up with different modes of coverage. 
And I think that's important because if we say, okay, well, well, let's do a profile for this one. And then maybe profiles become one mode of coverage in sports. And then maybe out of the 22 sports spreads, five are going to be profile. And then on another one, maybe that one's going to be where we're going to um, look into. Like I know my kids and, and some of this is like some of it just evolves out of survival. Right. Like I know a package my kids ended up doing this year. I don't even know where it came from. It was <laughs> it was just survival. But they just started doing this package where they would do like soccer and then they would have five kids and what the responsibility was for each position in soccer. I, I was like, wow, this actually is a little bit interesting um, as I was reading it because they did a good job of drilling down a little bit more and and actually – having the kids explain in detail what the position is really about. So that might be another sort of coverage package. And then so depending on the theme of your book, it, it might be where we are. We're just going to pick one game and go and cover that game. But that's a, that's a rocky road, though. Yeah. <laughs> Let's backtrack a little bit more, actually. Mm-hmm. So the four years that you were the Little League PR. Well, that was, I would say that was probably the last year. Probably the, that was probably the last year I was in the Air Force. And then the first year I was out of the Air Force. Gotcha. And, and so I was kind of in, um, in transition then. Uh, and then from there, I literally started covering like Friday night high school football games. Mm-hmm. And that led to, um, uh, that led to getting a, a beginning level job at the B back then, which was answering phones and then covering high school football games at the B. And then that led to when I graduated, actually getting a real job at the B. And uh, yeah, you did a bunch of these different types of jobs early in your career, all kind of relating to communication. So how have those skills been able to translate into your current position as a publication advisor? It's really, for me, I think it's been just sort of one kind of continuous string because uh, literally from the, from, it sounds dumb, but when, when I was in the Air Force, I was like a radar operator. So that was just a whole different thing. But from the, from the time of writing that first really, really, really bad article for the base paper about Little League games to now is really, it's not like it's I don't see it as, oh, what did you do back then? Now it's still going. Right. It's still evolving. It's still connected. And it did and and that's one of the things that's interesting about journalism is that what I was doing for the base paper back then, it it really is the same. It's always like the you know, the stakes are higher depending on where you're publishing. It's one of the things I really like about journalism with the kids is that you have to go speak to that person and ask them questions and get them to try to open up about their life. That's the same thing that the reporter at the New York Times is doing. They're just doing it at a, at a higher level, obviously, um, getting paid money for it, and you're not. Uh, but it's the it's the it's the same though, because we're not building rockets or anything like that. <laughs> I was actually sitting at a table near you critiquing a school yesterday, and obviously I was eavesdropping, um, as, and, one as one does, and also see your books every year. So I know that you know design well. When did you learn that if your earlier career was mostly writing? Did you also have part in the design, or have you totally learned Really, that? total accident. Total accident, and and thank you for the compliment. I, I it's design so interesting because is the you know we can all see things in in different ways. 
Uh, not a design person growing up, not an art person. Like I'm the kid in class who couldn't draw or couldn't paint. I'm still the kid in class who can't draw or paint. And so it was really cool because I found this sort of um, creative outlet in yearbook that and in both my teaching career and uh, my career as an advisor, I don't like if there had if computers just didn't happen, there's no way that I would have been able to become a teacher. <laughs> Because I remember like uh, the first grading program was called Making the Grade. And it just that that moment right there was like, I can become a teacher now because <laughs> there's no way I would, could handle grading. There, there's, there was just no way. There's so much like paper. And right. Ball yeah. And- I just there was just that just was never going to happen. And I, I've always struggled with my grading, even with computers now. <laughs> the, I bring that up because I, it, it was the same with yearbook, because I think it used to be sort of a pen paper you know, even though it was just it could be really bad in doing these boxes, computer sort of made this where somebody who's not an artist could sort of start expressing themselves creatively. And so that was really cool. In my early days of learning design and teaching design, I didn't really understand any of the concepts at all. But I just always like I used to a lot of times in my classes, like in the 90s, I would just get the magazines We'd shoot slides, and then we would just sit around to kind of, oh, I like this about this, and I like that about that, and and I would teach that way. Um, now, as I started working with other people and learning concepts, and now learning how to to not just deconstruct it in a creative way, but to also deconstruct it in an analytical way. And that's why I have my kids, like I in the design seminar that I teach here and, and in my classroom, I always start out with them. They have to imitate exactly what's in the magazines. You know, and it's real common in my design class. Like I had a couple kids, they don't, they just think they're, oh, I'm going to do better. I'm just going to go ahead and start doing my own thing. And I always tell them, like, well, I, I kind of use sarcasm for teaching sometime. And I'll go around to the kids and uh, I'll, oh, what are you working on there? And uh, I say, they say, oh, it's my mod. You're like, it. and I go, yeah, I go, where'd you get the idea from? And they go, I came up with it myself. And I go, I know, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of, especially newer advisors, struggle with those design principles and knowing what they are, especially in the yearbook space, which is a little different than the magazine space. But what are those design principles that you try to teach your new staffers in the first like month or uh, before they start making those mods? Well, that's where they start. So yeah. that is the, that's almost day one. Like if it's design, that's a, that, that would be a first week assignment. Um, so we call them quick fire challenges where, um, now we, we get so bogged down sometimes, you know, it's like later in the year, this stuff just goes away. Um, but it might be find a mod in a magazine. I'll give you a quick thumbs up and then just design it as fast as you can. Um, it's practice reps. And then when they're doing that, they're learning what the pro, how the pros are doing it on the writing side of things. I know when we like, I'll have, I have a new staff this year. I, ha- I might have some years where I don't do a boot camp because we're like, we're rolling already and I've got eight returning kids and we'll just kind of bring the other kids along. But next year I, my, I have, uh, an EI three who I had for two years and they're on their way out the door now. So it is a boot camp year. So design wise, that's one of the first things that we'll do is a style imitation mod. Then we're going to do style imitation type packaging. 
type package, main headline, subheadline, byline, copy start, a little bit of body text. Like that, that's just sort of the mantra. And they kind of can start picking up what those little pieces are. I think getting kids to keep a graphics notebook for your beginning kids, that's a really important thing because it's not necessarily, it's not so much a design principle as much as something that you need to be constantly doing in practice. But I spend a lot of time teaching the kids how to use inspiration. That's a, that's a huge thing. How do you teach how to use inspiration? Because that is also something that there's a, seems to be a disconnect between. Um, like you see this piece, but how does it translate onto a page? I think, but by I, I have just they're just little mini stories over the years of examples that I've showed the kids. And there's like in our world of yearbook, there's big giant inspiration when I'm looking for a theme or I'm looking for my branding look for our theme, or something along those lines. And then there's, I love that, I call them, they're sort of like pointed searches when you know you're looking for something, but you don't quite know what it is. So for example, in the uh, 2018 Antelope book on the cover, so the, the theme was 10 things I love about you. And for a while, the word love was, it just was regular text. And uh, with my editor, I kept saying like, you, you just need, you just need something. I, I don't know what it is, but you need something else. A few weeks later, actually it might've been a couple months later. Cause I think that was back in the summer. Uh, an issue of ESPN magazine came out and all, it was a, a football piece at the beginning of the year and all the fonts all were done in dots. And she already was using dots as a graphic element. And so when we saw that, it was like, you know, fireworks. go. You know, it's like finding a great verbal for a headline. Like the fireworks go off and it's like, oh, my God. And that became a huge part of the book. But it didn't fall out of the sky. I've learned so much from working with everybody in the village, like a saying that we all have now that 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 first came from Paul Ender is don't design from the sky. And literally, I know people can't see me right now, but I'm standing here tensing up and, and closing my eyes, thinking that a design idea is going to sort of come to me. And they're not up. They're not up there. There's a lot of good stuff up there, but it's but there's the design ideas aren't up there. I, I don't know if the group that you were eavesdropping on yesterday, the the second group that I did, super solid yearbook, but I could tell not they. I could tell that they hadn't looked at magazines at all. They were just kind of, I, it really scares me when the kids, I go, okay, you, you know, uh, you know, you, here's some places you can go to get some inspiration and I give them some sites where they can get some access to magazines and some newspaper stuff. And then I come by and they've gone to Pinterest and typed in yearbook inspiration. <laughs> and so now they got a real, a whole bunch of really bad yearbook yeah. spreads that they're trying to get inspired from. No, <laughs> <laughs> I think that is something that a lot of schools struggle with is looking at other yearbooks for inspiration when they should be looking at professional publications because that is where all of the great ideas live is in the professional world and if you're not comparing yourself to the professional world like you're not really it's already putting been your done talent out there in the yearbook world yeah, it's <laughs> if you're getting it from a yearbook exactly exactly yeah. and that and and you know i like to look to see what they're doing mm-hmm. Okay. And I like to me, the best books are always the ones when I go like, 
screw them. <laughs> screw that Mitch Ziegler at Redondo <laughs> Union High School. So, because uh, I tell that story because the Redondo 2011 book is to me, there were, there's, and I love it because there were so many people who hated that book. But if you go back and look at that book and look at your books now, that book changed a lot of what we do right now Mm -hmm. and those kids were like they were truly innovative and so i like what a cool thing i mean even though it's in our i always call this the a little world of figure skating so (laughs) all of these odd little subcultures that we live in and even though it might just be in your little world of figure skating what a cool thing for those kids though that if i mean if those kids came back and looked at your books today they'd be like oh we did hey we did that in our book talking about that 2018 book how did you get away with so many openings and so much opening copy on there? They all have opening copy, right? That's a lot of work. It, the, 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 the kids just, they really came through. I mean, I think it was a really cool idea. Um, uh, we've taken some fair criticism in the yearbook world because we, so I, it was been really fun opening up a school. So we had our first book. And I, I don't, I can't remember. I don't think the first one, I don't think it had a number one on it or anything, but it, it, it definitely had a numbers sort of element to it. But the second book was take two. And then the third book, well, third book, I, th- yeah, no numbers there. The fourth book kind of had a number element to it. And then we did, uh, year seven, we did say it was seven. And so then, then we came back to 10 again. So anyway, so I guess what I'm saying, it wasn't rocket science to have 10 opening sections. And, um, but I, I loved it because it was on me. There, there's so many different ways to get it on message. And some of them, the, the people, the kids don't get it. They don't realize it, but it's almost subconscious that it, that, that whole message is kind of, uh, all coming across in so many different ways. So, I mean, I think we we probably had to add pages that year. I think that's probably the answer to your question. And the kids were excited. I mean, they truly were excited about the opening. There was a lot of that group. Um, there was a lot of uh, very exciting creative energy um, that happened, uh, you know, starting at Summer Workshop. When you look at this book, there are spreads that you pull out 10 students and have them write something about themselves. How did that idea come to be and... Why was that the way that you wanted to include? Those Did we do that? What? Which? What? Ten, what? What part of you referring to? Ten things I hate about, or ten things I love about you. It was spreads, and it was like they every student had a number. It was the Google number generator. Google number. Oh, the oh, the dividers. Yeah, yeah. yeah the <laughs> dividers. Yeah. Well, I think that's just the old trick of always trying to get kids in the book and and trying to make sure that you're getting a lot of kids in the book. And then I like to do the number generator stuff because I, what ends up happening is is when you get closer and closer to deadline, the kids work closer and closer to the classroom, meaning getting their friends getting literally geographically of just going to the classroom across the hallway. And so I think the number generator um, helps in kind of making sure that you have that randomness that you are really, I, I, I tell the kids, the phrase I use is you got to reach your tentacles further out. Mm-hmm. Like you're not, there's a whole bunch of other buildings out there that you need to get those people in the book too. And that's just, that's a, uh, that's such a tough task these days. Right. You had said earlier the cover was just like, it needed that extra thing. And it ended up being the dots that were already being used. And those were a thematic element. So 
how do you make sure that the theme is kind of throughout the book, but it's not like it's just a background or it's just like a a, a literal theme right. that you would right. pick from like Shutterstock? Right. It's so I'll I'll just start with the uh, another journalism or another design analogy. So it's kind of like type. So when you're teaching kids type, so I realized that I would be teaching them and then I would say, uh, you have to make it look the same, but it, uh, but it has to be different simultaneously. So it's really hard to teach kids that concept because they just hear, oh, the same, then they're, now they're going to make all the type look the same. Oh, different? Oh, I'm going to do six different fonts now. <laughs> and so, th- so in the same way that we kind of teach kids, no, it's a font family and you can create contrast with type weight and you can create contrast condensed, extended, reg- you know, all, all of that stuff with type. Um, it's sort of the same thing with theme. It's it to make it sort of this kind of background, not where it's, I think, and this is an Ann Aker phrase that, that I, I use often now, that you want all the spreads in the book to be cousins, not twins and triplets and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the kids really, that resonates with the kids. So, the, so, so now it's finding these design elements, like even if, like sometimes even if it's, Oh, the cover was black, so let's do the front end sheets in red and play around with the color palette in a little bit of a different way. So it looks different, but I but it's still branded to the theme packet, and I know that I'm still in the same book. I think that speaks to a point uh, that I like to call creative consistency. So you can be as creative as you want, but you need to have the same exactly. elements throughout. But but you can use those elements in different ways though. That's the yeah, that that exactly. that's the. How did you use the dots in different ways? You had it as letters. Well, first of all, it wasn't me. It was Michaela. Right. <laughs> how did you step? How did you? She'd be it? really mad if she heard you say that. <laughs> um, she just played around with a lot of different things. Yeah, it was going to be her graphic element. And again, when you say dots, you got to be really careful there too because. Right. There's a big difference between 0.5 Japanese dots and right. three-point Japanese dots. <laughs> so trying to keep it subtle, you know, as well, where it doesn't kind of uh, overwhelm. I don't know that. I don't know if there's anything else in the book, but the she 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 did bars, mm-hmm. and and I think and then the larger type packages. Mm-hmm. Right, moving in a totally different direction. Okay. Um, we were at CSPA when you won the Joseph M. Murphy Award, and you gave a entertaining speech (laughs) thank you Um, and a lot of it was on mental health of students now and so I'm wondering how you've you've been in the classroom for a little while thank you for phrasing it that way (laughs) not that long but have you noticed staffs or the students changing since you've been there like the environment of schools and so there is a huge change going on right now with kids. I, I, I might even say, what year did you guys graduate? 13. Oh, my gosh. You guys are really young. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but, 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 but I might even say, though, even from your generation, though. Um, so it's all the research is out there of the way that you guys have grown up with smartphones and the anxiety and stress that that is producing in your lives. Uh, and so that's a that's a huge thing. We actually have a spread in the 2019 book where, so again, I say sometimes survival because there's some deadline issues of why it ended up sort of being, we'll use this for our coverage in S206. In our district, they have wellness centers at every campus now. So uh, like if I have a kid and they just go like, Mr. Blank, I need to go to the wellness center. Okay, go. Bye. 
good luck. Hope everything's okay. Um, and kids know that, that, that is a resource that's there for them. Not exaggerating. I've got, but between, between the three programs, I probably have about 35 kids, 35 to 40 kids. Uh, I would say at least 75 to 80% of them right now are on some kind of anti-anxiety meds or some kind of depression meds, um, or other things. And so this has been a real year of change for me in sort of, I, I kind of feel like my last calling now is to try to help with this issue because I care about the kids, of course, and their, and just their welfare as people. But I still also care about uh, our industry and doing quality publications and what the kids can learn from that environment. I was saying earlier that so we this spread that the kids did this year, it's six or seven different kids in there writing about, am I in journalism because I'm struggling with mental illness and this is helping me with my mental illness is, or is it just a distraction or why am I putting myself in this stressful environment and I'm so stressed already? This is a real thing that's happening. And I, I want to try to be able to help the kids more. We, we unfortunately had a couple of real serious issues of, uh, you know, kids who are dealing on a daily basis are dealing with, and this is the first time I've really, I know this has gone on around me, but I've never really sort of dealt with it in really talking to the kids where I have kids, uh, a couple kids who are dealing with suicidal issues right now. And, it, and almost like where we just, it's just, you, I mean, I've met with some of the parents, you know, and it's like, it, it just, it's not like, oh, that girl's, she's dealing with that. It's just kind of out in the open, you know, we're just talking about it now. And, uh, the, you know, the phrase that I've been using is for me, my personal fourth wall is just crumbled this year where now the kids are coming to me and talking about stuff. And I'm like, uh, you think I'm going to like talk to you about stuff now? I had this really dialed in for 27 years, but, but I'm, I kid because it's a, it's a good thing that that's happening. And I'm really interested right now at our school, we're doing something called restorative practices, which is kind of an educational movement that's happening right now. And I'm hoping to sort of be a bridge between uh, what's happening in some schools and but really bringing that into the journalism world because we need it so bad because it gives it gives you an outlet uh, one of the when we talk about restorative practices restorative circles is one of the, the the big ways that that would find its way into a classroom and I think it can just be so healthy to just kind of be doing different types of check-ins with kids so that so that you can find out what's going on in their lives so that they know they're in a safe environment where they can talk about it. So they're not, I mean, as the older I get, I almost like so many stories that I see of some sort of emotional tragedy or even just personal tragedies is people trying to keep secrets. That is just never a good thing for anybody. Um, yeah, and I say that I, and I've lived through those types of situations as well. So, and I think when, when the kids feel like, oh yeah, we all know this is going on and, and then we can kind of deal with that over there, but we still got to get the book done, <laughs> you know, and I, I, it's hard because I tend, I want to be that person. My joke line, uh, and this is true. When I came into teaching, I really saw myself as 
oh, I'm going to be that cool teacher who the kids come and talk to because I'm young and I'm, and not only did that not happen, but they have to go to other teachers and I'm the problem that they have to talk about because we're in this really stressful environment of journalism. So we just need to deal with that in the room. And that's one of my goals is to try to help the kids doing that. All of that that I just told you, though, is also coalescing. And you guys know this. The year, it's just so much now. Mm-hmm. And I know, I know people that may be having advice for uh, 10 or 15 years. They might say, well, what's so different about it? A part of it is the mental outlook, I think, of the kids. But it, it's, it's just, you know, like, look at Mike Simmons' book. It's like, oh, my God. Right. I, you know, it's, it's so much. Right. It's so much. The way we do things now. It used to be main story, five photos, and maybe a mod on the page. And that was it. And now it's like sometimes there's more coverage in one mod than you would have had on a whole spread in a yearbook 15 years ago and you're doing that four times on the that one spread <laughs> so i think it it has just multiplied into so much and the and you see it and it looks so cool and you can make it look so cool and that takes so much energy do you think that like the shift to having these books of books of books, we'll call them, is a reaction to what the magazine industry is doing with uh, their coverage and how they are packaging things? I think that's just more of sort of the natural cycle of things. I I think it's just the way I would answer your question is more just about the quest for excellence Mm -hmm. that in in this world, those of us that choose to sort of have excellence, um, to maintain that excellence, it is just so much now. Like, see, I, like I've I've gotten away with it for a couple of years, where I haven't del- I I haven't looked in my photo cabinet in like three years, <laughs> and so I know that I got my all my experienced kids are leaving, so I've got to look in the photo cabinet next year. And the kids sometimes come to me with the, with the camera, and I go, Yeah, I don't I don't speak I don't speak that language because <laughs> I'm not doing it every day. See, but now now I have a year next year where I'm gonna I gotta start speaking that language again and I gotta get and then it's gonna be like what happened to those three lenses that I bought three years ago <laughs> oh those are all gone now oh great <laughs> I think a strange I might just be making this up but we do some like national yearbook week we had a um, sheet that we gave out to students to fill out that was like every student deserves to be remembered because and I think a lot of that every student needs to be on the page leads to like the empathy of students now where they're like everybody is important everybody needs to be remembered leads to their own stress uh, one of my friends sarah nichols who who's at whitney high school and also uh president of um, jea um that they say it and they do it but i can't we say it a lot of times but i always just kind of wink to myself <laughs> like yeah that's not going to happen you're not going to get every kid in the book twice but you know it's a good goal though but but, but it, yeah but it i'm sure helps yeah yeah but it is man yeah yeah so on top of all those other things we just talked about we're going to get every kid in the book twice yeah. too <laughs> We like to ask non-yearbook related questions at the end. Okay. The first one, I was listening to Diane Sawyer on the plane here, and she said that her dad used to ask her, did you ask any great questions today instead of 
did you learn something today? What's your favorite question to ask? Like if you are, when you were doing an interview, what was your favorite question to uh, ask? I always like to, to uh, ask people, if you were a journalist and you were writing a story about you, what would you write about? That's a good one. That is a good one. Because it, it gets people, first of all, they, you get them where they're thinking of themselves kind of in a different role. They're, now they're also maybe empathizing with you of what <laughs> you're trying to do right now. <laughs> Um, and sometimes they just, they might share something really deep that, that, that could end up being a much better story now. Um, so that's always, that's always been one of my favorite yeah, questions. So one. if you were a journalist and you were writing about <laughs> yourself, oh, bummer. what would you write about? I, I, I set myself up there. So, uh, I think that, I mean, I, my, my own personal story, if I were writing a story about me, I, I would just try to make a link that. And I and it's interesting. It's interesting now that I'm of. I'm just realizing this as I'm just telling you this right now. Is all like that I'm right now talking about mental health issues with the kids because it's just it's just been so much about the success and the book and like this is your this is your self esteem is success um, and and starting to see that in a different way. But I think of I of how my story I think is kind of coming full circle now because I grew up in an environment of mental illness with my mother and just a lot of you know issues around that in childhood and I, I mean I try to use my story sometimes you know not very often but at the right times with kids of of that uh, you know I was that kid out there like doing everything to try to screw up like you know drugs and drinking and just all of that stuff and i'm just thankful that i somewhere i you just some of us just have that something in our brain that just says okay you you this is far enough now you need to stop now <laughs> and and i'm lucky that i had that but i think in being i guess it's still amazing to me that i'm even sitting here talking to you right now working in an educational environment because it, it was just the last place where i ever ever expected um, that I would be. So I, I, I know it sounds horribly corny, but you know, when you're dealing with kids that, that you, you'll be surprised what you can do. Like it will really surprise you what you can do with your life. Yeah. What do you think people relate to in a publication? They obviously relate to seeing themselves in it and seeing their friends in it. But what do you think people look for in a publication and how does it become a reflection of I, I think I think they don't know exactly what they're looking for. <laughs> and so, but that's as, uh, you know, in good storytelling, okay, where if you can have a compelling story, again, not just, oh, my, oh, this is my friend, so I'm going to stop and look at this, but it's the kid that I don't know. And the storytelling is done well, so I might actually be compelled to read this story. Now, as designers, we have to get them to that story. So not only can we create emotional reaction with the words of the story, but we can also create emotional reaction with our designs to sort of get them there. Um, so they're, that's what they're looking for. They're looking for a good story. Just like, just like when I turn on the TV or I open up a book or I'm going through Netflix and eh, do I want to try this one or not? Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm looking for something, uh, that is going to grab me in an emotional way somehow and make me feel something.
You are free to give a paper plate award to anybody you would like. I'm going to give my paper plate award to Dan Austin today because he's uh, he's retiring this year. We had a roast for him uh, last night. That was a lot. Of, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, turned out a little too positive than I wanted it to be. No, no, no. I'm just joking. It, it, it actually was. It was really nice. But I'm I'm I want to give Dan a paper plate award for everything he's helped me with in my career. So when I was telling you earlier that when I started out, I literally was this guy, like I had, some people like to refer to it as a mullet. I like to refer <laughs> to it as a unique long hairstyle, <laughs> but I had long hair and my tie-dye t-shirts the summer workshop and my Birkenstocks and, hey man, we're just going to like look at these cool slides. And, and uh, Dan helped me to teach me to really become a teacher so the phrase that I learned from him is to make it teach. It's cool that it's cool and we're looking at something and we can all agree that it's cool, but to make it teachable and knowable, you have to deconstruct it. And that takes time. Like it, like it takes a lot of time. Like for example, we're doing our little photo packaging show now that we've done for several years and Adam helped us with it when we got it going in the early years. That show took two years to really evolve and that show was inspired by the kids from redondo because we looked at what they were doing in their book so in other words so like oh wow this looks so cool and that really starts from that seed of the redondo book let's break it down to see why it's cool and that led us down this path of looking at what they were looking at in the magazines and then we found a whole bunch of other stuff that was going on in the magazines and now to be able to say Maybe you guys want to try this or this or this. It's not as fresh as it was five years ago, but because a lot of people are doing all that stuff now. So, so anyway, Dan gets my, my paper plate award for sure. Well, thank you, Dee, for sitting with all us. Right. We had a great time. Okay, good. Thanks for having me. Thank you. All right. Take care. <laughs>